Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Well, good morning again, everybody. Great to see you. We have definitely filled on up here in the room. Great to see everybody again online, especially for those you might have clicked in after we did our announcements. And welcome, everybody. We're glad that you've joined us here as well. Hey, uh, can we say thank you to the band for leading us in worship? Wasn't that great? That was great. Thank you, Billy. Thank you, Verona. And it's always great to hear Amy sing. She has like the voice of an angel, right? Man, I just love, love all of them. Well, um, we are really glad that you guys have joined us here this week. And uh, I was off last weekend. It was great to have a weekend off. Thank you, Pastor Dale and Jeff Bakatosh, our director of pastoral care, preached for me over at the East Campus. And uh, so I got to do a really cool thing last weekend. Uh, my wife has a cousin. Her name's Nicole. She's just this wonderful kid. She's not really a kid. She's like, you know, 19 or 20 now. She's not kidding. We're crazy. Anyway, um, she has a cousin who is doing like a work internship at Disney and she got us into the Magic Kingdom for F-R-E-E free. Isn't that cool? Yeah. So here's a picture of us at Disney last weekend. Here's my family. There we are. If you don't know us, that's uh, my wife, Leah, on the left. And that's our baby girl, Susanna, Cade, and then Tessa and Leah's cousin, Nicole, on the right, and that's me wearing Santa Claus Coca-Cola shirt because everyone knows Coke tastes better in a glass bottle of Coke with Santa drinking it. <laughs> Absolutely. So it was a great weekend. It was a lot of fun. Susanna got her first Pooh Bear, and Tessa got to ride on the carousel and got to get Disney princess ears. And Cade, we had a rite of passage for my young man of a boy. He rode for the very first time Space Mountain. Oh, at seven years old. Look at that dude. Halfway through the ride, I distinctly had the feeling of, oh no, I've made a terrible parenting decision. <laughs> and once we both tried to turn around, fully expecting my son to be in tears and stricken with fear. And I looked at him, he was a little like wide eyed, like, Cade, how are you? And this is honest to goodness, the first thing he blurted out of his mouth. That was epic. I'm like, my man, yeah. So it was a great weekend to be off, and I'm glad to be back here with you guys today. If you haven't already, grab your message notes that you're handed on your way in in your Connect folder, and we're going to jump right on into week four of our message in the series we're calling Fear Not. Everyone say that. Fear Not. We're using the story of Christmas to help us press into deeper issues we face as human beings and the deeper truths that run underneath all of these issues. And so what we've been looking at is one of the greatest declarations of all of the Bible. It's not only just in the stories of the birth of Jesus, but all across the Christian scriptures, the Old Testament, which is the Hebrew scriptures, and the New Testament, which is the story of Jesus and the beginning of his followers. And altogether, the Christian Bible has these declarations over and over and over again of God saying to his people, do not be afraid. Fear not. And it's a great word for us here today. It's amazing how this book that is old, that it's ancient, that it was concluded just 2,000 years ago, and yet it still speaks with deep relevancy for us and our lives here today. This is what we really believe here at Community of Hope. So our theme verse for this series comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 11. Uh, we're going to put it on the screen. Read it with me out loud all together. Go. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. 
Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, over the month, we've been looking at the Christmas story found in the Gospel of Matthew and in the Gospel of Luke. It tells these two different stories of the birth narratives, of the nativity narratives of the life of Jesus. And this phrase, do not be afraid or fear not, comes up four specific times. And we're in week four of our series. The first time we talked about this in week one, when I was here at the West Campus, we talked about the fear of missing it, the fear that it's too late, that your dreams have been dashed and you've missed something in your life and that it's too late. We had a powerful weekend where God met us here in church. Then we talked about the following week. We talked about the story of Mary and the fear of being not enough, the fear of being not enough, the fear of inadequacy. Many of us can relate to that. Last week, Pastor Joe preached a great message on the fear of other people talking about Joseph. And if you were here last week, I watched it online. Man, it was great. He had this name tag illustration for how people label us and name us and pulling them off and learning to listen to only what God says. How many of you were here for that? Remember that? So good. If you have not watched it, if you're online, you haven't seen it, go on our website and check it out. It is, um, It was really powerful, really spoke to me personally. And so this week in particular, here's how I want to start week four of Fear. I want to show you a picture. I want to show you a picture of a guy. His name is here up on the screen. It's Frank Abagnale. How many of you know who Frank Abagnale is? Several hands. Several hands know who Frank Abagnale is. Well, this man is one of the greatest con men in the history of our nation, in the history of our country. Now, it seems, I know, a little strange. The pastor in church is saying he is a great con man. It's a little oxymoron-ish, I know. Is that a word, oxymoron-ish? Whatever, it's, it is now, okay. Yeah, anyway, so um, he was a great con man in the history of our nation. How many of you ever seen the movie Catch Me If You Can? Yeah, lots of people see it. Steven Spielberg movie, Tom Hanks and Leonardo DiCaprio. That is based off of this guy's life. He made a cameo in the movie arresting himself, Leonardo DiCaprio, in the movie. I mean, he has this incredible life. Have you ever seen the USA show that was on a couple years ago, White Collar? Remember that? It's based largely kind of off of his life. So Frank Abagnale, uh, between the ages when he was 15 and 21, become one of the greatest con men in the history of our nation, taking on many, many, many different false identities. Do you know what I was doing when I was 15? I was playing Nintendo 64, eating Cheetos in my bedroom, and this dude was off being a con man, successfully tricking people and having real jobs with real money coming to him of pretending to be an airline pilot. Think about that. Um, A physician, a U.S. Bureau of Prisons agent, and finally a lawyer, okay? No joke, he legit passed the bar exam in Louisiana on his third try, all the while lying about going to Harvard having never even finished high school, and he passed the bar exam in Louisiana, which, I don't know, maybe says something about Louisiana, is anybody here from Louisiana? So sorry. You have LSU and Joe Burrow. You're just fine right now. You're okay. Anyway, anyway, so listen to this. Um, after his capture, Frank Abagnale ended up working for the government as an FBI consultant and then opened up his own financial fraud consultation firm. Not like I consult people how to fraud others, but like I help people avoid fraud type of a thing. He used his powers for good later on in life. And of Frank Abagnale's many aliases and many names that he had and all these false identities, here's some of them. He was known as the Skyway Man. Ooh, yeah, that's cool. Then Frank Williams, 
Robert Conrad, Robert Black, Frank Adams, Robert Manjo. I don't know where he came up with that one. And here's my last favorite alienist, alias of his, The Big Nail. How about that? Pretty cool. The only aliases I have is when people point at me and go, look, it's the OxyClean guy. That's the only thing I got. <laughs> That's all I got. No. Why am I talking to you about Frank Abagnale? Well, because he's the same criminal that has many different aliases, or at least was the same criminal, many different aliases. It's the same thing, guys, with fear. Fear has many different aliases. Fear has many different masks, many different identities. Fear can represent itself in many different ways. Fear could show up as concern. Fear could show up as anxiety. Fear could show up as pressure. Fear could show up as stress. Fear could show up as panic. And fear can also show up as this alias, worry. We're going to talk a lot about worry today. Anybody here ever deal with worry? We're talking about worry today. So our passage for today comes from Luke chapter 2. Verses 1 through 14, we're going to look at the story of the shepherds. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 14, the story of the shepherds. So this is in your notes. You can pull up your Bible or it's on the screen. It says this. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. Would you pray with me? Lord, this peace, what we long for, we long for it to come rest on us today. Holy Spirit, we know you're here in the room. We felt your presence already. And would you come manifest yourself with a special anointing upon all of us? Lord, deal with all of our fear. Deal with our worry. We haven't come here to do a religious exercise and learn a few things. We've come here that maybe we might get touched by you. That maybe our lives would be changed. I know that's what you're here for. So come and do it. It's in your name I pray. Amen. 
Okay, so let's talk for just a minute about the shepherds and just to get a little bit of context of the story here. Now, uh, the shepherds uh, were terrified, it says it in the passage, and you would be too. You would freak out if an angel appeared to you in the middle of the night, and if you were here a couple of weeks ago, remember how I said that angels were not like babies with diapers and wings and harps. Angels are warriors of light and messengers of God. This scared every single person that an angel appeared to in these stories. And so if an angel appeared to you in the middle of the night, in the middle of a field, in the middle of the dark, you would have to change your robe too, right? <laughs> it terrified them. Now, but there's what we said in each one of these passages is that there's the the straightforward literal thing that's happening is that they were terrified by the presence of an angel, but there's also a metaphorical layer of truth to be found, and you might have been looking for it, and if you had eyes to see, you may have already seen the fear that we're going to point toward in just a moment. What could the shepherds have to fear? Obviously, they're fearing the angels, but did you notice at the beginning of the chapter that there is a census taken? If you're unfamiliar with ancient history in Israel, uh, what's going on is that during this period of time is the right in the pinnacle of the Roman Empire, and Rome has occupied Israel. And when it says that they called a census to be taken of all the Roman world and that Caesar Augustus called for the census, do you know Caesar Augustus achieved world peace in the whole known world all across the Roman Empire? How? By Pax Romana, the Roman peace, by force and violence. Worldwide peace, because everyone is afraid of you, isn't really good peace. See what I mean? Uh, anybody who would dare cross Rome or one of Rome's citizens would feel the wrath of the Roman Empire and the Roman forces. In fact, just 70 years after this story that we just read, the Jewish people in Jerusalem in 70 AD decided to revolt against Rome. And what did Rome do? They came and burnt Jerusalem to the ground and killed a million people, what historians tell us. So it was a little tense in this time in the world. A foreign, a foreign force has occupied your government. They're controlling everything. If you cross them, you die. It's a little tense. You'd be afraid too. Not only that, do you know why they called for a census? Do you know the reason for a government to call a census, especially in the ancient world? It's not for Caesar Augustus to go, oh, I wonder how many people are in my empire. No, they call a census so he can get taxes from people. And if that doesn't scare you, right? Oh, come on. Yeah, taxing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So all this stuff could lead to all this you know, tense worry that people are having in this day and in this age. Now, but here's the thing. An angel appears to the shepherds. The shepherds freak out, and the angels go, just chill out. I bring you what? Good news. Good news. Because the shepherds probably feared they're going to bring what? Maybe bad news. And this is what we're talking about today, the fear of bad news. The fear of bad news is the fear about the future. It's worry about tomorrow and what the, the rest of today and what could go wrong. Many of us worry and fear bad news coming from school, coming from the doctor's office. We fear bad news from a friend, bad news from our boss, bad news on the news, and it's all bad news these days. 
fear of what could go wrong. This is what worry is called. Many counselors and psychologists um, write about an aspect of what happens when people worry about this. And this is something that we all do. When worry, beyond just daily thoughts, but when we really become focused in on something, begin to worry about something, fear of bad news, they call it catastrophizing. And catastrophizing is when any of us go in our mind to its worst case scenario type of stuff. Now, we all have done this before in one way or another. So it's the middle of the night, you're in your house, you're in your apartment, and you hear a noise. And the first thought that goes through your head, oh no, this is it. Somebody's broken to the house. They're going to steal the Christmas tree and all the presents too. And I'm dead for sure. And it was just the dishwasher, right? <laughs> Anybody done that before? Catastrophizing. Okay. Um, or um, this is the one. I'm just going to be honest with you guys. I'm going to be a little vulnerable here. It's a little embarrassing. Anytime I hear like a large ominous sound outside, first thing that goes through my mind is, this is it. Russia's launched their attack. Nuclear wars began in America, and it's over. It's over. No, it's just a 747 flying overhead, okay? We fear bad news. We catastrophize things and go to worst-case scenarios. If you're somebody like this who goes to worst-case scenario thinking, you might use this book for Christmas. It's the worst-case scenario survival handbook. Look at the picture. That's my favorite part. <laughs> in this book, it talks about how to escape quicksand, <laughs> If you worry, you think about, oh no, what if I'm ever, then there's how to escape from a bear, how to jump from a building into a dumpster, how to land a plane. Oh no. Is it? Yeah. Anyway. Yep. And then uh, last one, this is my favorite, how to deliver a baby in a taxi cab, which they should update this and call how to deliver a baby in an Uber. Right. Yeah. <laughs> now you might not be this bad to where you go, man, I'm not like obsessed with crazy worst case scenario thinking. Maybe some of you are, but most of us don't go to that far extreme. Here's the point where I'm trying to say all of us to some degree or another worry to some degree or another. Maybe you're better or worse than others. And we fear bad news coming to us of what could happen in the future. Now, what's interesting is what psychologists and uh, counselors and sociologists are all telling us. The data says that 95% of what people fear doesn't actually happen. You ever noticed that before? Think of all the stuff that you've spent mental energy on wrapping your brain around. Now, do some of it come true sometimes? Sure. But what they're telling us is that 95% of what we catastrophize, of what we fear, of the bad news that we're anticipating coming, 95% of it doesn't even ever happen. And we want to say something about that. And it's interesting in my reading and my research on this topic and in the sermon series, what people, experts in cognitive behavioral therapy and experts in counseling, experts in psychology are all saying about fear and worry and anxiety the same thing that the ancient wisdom of the Bible has been echoing for thousands of years. It's fascinating to me. And I want to show you that if you struggle with worry and the fear of bad news, Jesus and his scriptures have ancient wisdom that can help you today. And it's even confirmed by some of our best sciences now. Here's the first thing you need to know about worry and the fear of bad news. First off, worry is unproductive. Worry is unproductive. Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount, which happened to be his first sermon ever. 
which is pretty amazing. His first sermon ever. People are still talking about it 2,000 years later. Nobody's talking about my first sermon ever. And so he said this in Matthew 6, 27. Check this out. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is obviously no. What Jesus is getting at is that worry, we we worry and allow worry to happen in our minds because we think it's going to make something better or we're going to get a problem solved or we're going to move something along. And Jesus's point is right, is that it's actually not productive at all. It doesn't work. Now, let's make a healthy distinction here. If uh, you have a situation that you're ruminating in your mind that's realistic and that you have some control over, that's not worry. That's called problem solving. That's good. If it's realistic and you have control over it to some degree, that's problem solving. You should do that. We need people to plan contingency responses and to come up with plans for stuff. My goodness. I read a story earlier this week about um, scientists took a group of chimps in the wild and they took the chimps away that exhibited like just a little bit of anxiety. Like they, they were the ones that sensed danger for the whole tribe of chimps. They took those chimps away. You know what happened to the tribe one year later? They're all dead. So for some of you who do like your brain goes through possible situations and how to plan what you do have control over, good. You're keeping us all alive. Thank you. We appreciate you. That's not worry. Worry is about situations that are unrealistic or unlikely. Unrealistic or unlikely. And that you have no control over. When you're obsessed about those things, that is worry. And to worry about those doesn't work at all. Pastor Rick Warren said this one time. Uh, we're going to put up one quote on the screen. But I'm going to read it to you in context. He talked about worry as this. He says, worry is essentially a control issue. Now, this isn't on the screen, but pay attention to me right now. When you begin to worry about something, that shows you that you're trying to control something. Whether it's a person, an outcome, a situation, when you begin to worry, it shows you that you're trying to control. He goes on to say, so it's essentially a control issue. It's trying to control the uncontrollable. We can't control the economy, so we worry about the economy. We can't control our children, so we worry about children. We can't control the future, so we worry about the future. But worry never solves anything. And here's the quote on the screen. Worrying is stewing without doing. It's stewing without doing. How many of you remember Rubik's Cubes? Yeah? Okay. Now, I've become interested in these. Let's go and throw up the picture of the Rubik's Cube, guys. I've become interested in these lately because I want to learn how to solve them, and I cannot. How many of you can actually solve a Rubik's Cube? Okay, a couple of hands in here. I just want to let you all know that none of us like you, okay? <laughs> I'm just kidding. We love everybody. Okay. Now, um, now, I can't solve a Rubik's Cube. You know, I'm just trying to, I'm the guy, I'm just trying not to be, you know, the game at Cracker Barrel with the, the golf tees. I'm just trying not to be an ignoramus in that, Okay. And when I do this Rubik's Cube, I can't figure it out. I feel like an idiot. I feel like a moron. There are people who could really do this, but I can't. I feel like normal people can't. Any of you ever got frustrated trying to do this before? Yes. Okay. So this is honestly, 
what worry is like, where you're just twisting and turning and coming up every different scenario in your head about something you have no control over, and you're spending all your mental energy over and 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 in not going anywhere or solving anything or coming with any solution except mentally draining you and giving you knots in your stomach. This is what worry is like. The first step to learn how to fear not and to let go of your worry and the fear of bad news is to stop playing with the Rubik's Cube in your mind, knowing that this doesn't work. And I should first put it down. That's the first step. Worry, it's not only counter, or it's not only unproductive, worry is counterproductive. Again, this is what the Bible teaches us and what modern psychology and counseling tells us as well. It's not only unproductive, it's counterproductive. And the series that we just finished, Scatter, we talked about Jesus in this parable of him, a parable of sower who's scattering seed. The seed represents the message of God and the soil represents human hearts. Listen to this. We read this last month, but check this out. Luke 18, verse 14, Jesus talks about one type of heart. He says, the seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's, what is it? Worries riches and pleasures and they do not mature now if you come to church you'd expect a preacher to go watch out for life's pleasures and riches it chokes out what god's doing in your life but many of us miss the first part with jesus says beyond some of that other stuff he says your worry chokes out what god's trying to do in you not just pleasures and riches and things that churches most likely bash on But your worry and your anxiety will white knuckle, choke out the good things God is trying to do in your life. I'm going to say a quote. I want you to finish it if you know it. We have nothing to fear but fear itself. How many of you know who actually said that? PR gave was that he was usually optimistic and superficial and witty in his speeches. And, you know, people were ready for a change. But this is totally uncharacteristic for him. Uh, This was uncharacteristic for him because he addressed the great dread that was happening in our nation. He addressed the catastrophizing that is going on in America. Remember back to your American history classes. In 1929, the stock market crashed and ushered in the Great Depression, the worst economic depression in the history of the industrialized age. And they are three years into this. And President Roosevelt in his inaugural address, took a moment to not only be the incoming president, but to be America's pastor, even just for a moment. And he addressed the nation's fear. He not only said this, he started by saying, we have nothing to fear but fear itself, but then he finished the quote by saying this, fear which is nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat to advance. What he was trying to get our nation to do was to understand that worry and fear is not just unproductive, it's counterproductive. And if you want to learn to be set free from your worrying and your anxiety and your fear of bad news over and over and over again, you not only need to learn that it's unproductive, but you need to learn to declare war on it. 
And you need to learn to declare that this is not only unproductive, it's counterproductive, and this is my enemy, and it's not my friend, it's not helping me, it's choking out the good things God's trying to do in me. You got to learn to let it go and lay it down. Now, one thing that counselors say, uh, all the research shows this, and if you're a worrier by nature, I'm a worrier naturally. Anybody here else a worrier naturally? Great. Okay, we have a hard time raising our hands because we have knots in our stomach. Yeah. Um, if you tell a worrier, just stop worrying. Are you able to stop worrying? No. In fact, it makes it worse, doesn't it? It does. So I'm going to give you an exchange instead. Stop worrying, but do this instead. Worry is a warning sign. It's a warning sign. It's trying to tell us to do something. Now, uh, many of you have heard me talk about, um, I had a car that was a little bit of a rust bucket. You heard me talk about it as the one, remember when I talked about how I had once had four door handles all fall off my car all at one time? <laughs> my car was 15 years old, I had 250,000 miles on it, I beat the heck out of that thing. Um, people used to joke with me whenever we do car washes here at church, people used to joke, Trevor, don't bring your car, the dirt is what's holding it all together. <laughs> so, um, so this summer I traded in that car for a whopping $300. Yeah. I traded in my car and I got a new to me used car. And in this, I got a great deal on a great used car. And I feel like I'm driving a spaceship because it has door handles guys. <laughs> and it also has one of these it has a push to start button. Ooh, we highfalutin up in here. Yeah. All right. So I felt very cool, very special. The first month, boom, push the car. Very cool. I, I would keep my keys in my pocket. I mean, take my keys out, look over at my wife, Lee, and go, poor people problems. You have to use keys. <laughs> you know, just silly, silly stuff. So great car. I love my car. But in month two, the push to start button started getting a little finicky. Instead of pushing once, I had to push it twice. And in month three, I had to begin to push it three times. And then month four, I had to push it four or five times. And I just kept going because I'm used to clunker. You just plow through stuff and you deal with it, right? <laughs> month five, I get in my car and I push the button four times and five times and six times and seven times and 17 times and 27 times. And oh, no, it's not starting. I was stranded after getting my hair cut at my barbershop. And the only problem was is that in one hour, I was supposed to officiate a funeral. And I was stranded. Don't worry. <laughs> I made it. It's okay. Now, but it just showed me, oh, I, I, I should have listened to the warning signs all along, right? Here's what I'm trying to tell you as a pastor. If you're feeling worry and fear, that's your signal that there's some stuff that you need to do to lean in with God. It's not that there's something broken with you. It's that that's your signal. Ah, it's time for me to practice some things I need to do. We're going to read a passage of scripture. I'm going to tell you what to do instead when you worry. And then we're going to practice it right here, right now, before we all go home. Philippians 4, 4 through 7 says this. This is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. 
And the peace of God, this is my, one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So what do you do when worry and fear comes along? It's these three things in the passage. One, remember, God is with you. Remember, God is with you. The Lord is near. Your fury, or your, your fear will evaporate. You see how I mix fear and worry? Your fury. Your fear and your worry will evaporate when you remember that Jesus is with you. He's near and he is here. And by the way, he's not just close, he's your helper. Then Paul tells us to practice thanksgiving. Don't just focus on what could go wrong, but say thank you for what is going right. Hear that? Just not only focus on what could go wrong, but say thank you for what is going right. And then lastly, tell God what you want. This is not the time to do uh, religious ease prayers of, Lord, if it's thy will, if it pleases thy, no, 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 no. Tell God exactly what you want. Maybe it's what you tell him what you don't want. Just tell it to him plainly. Remember, he's with you right here. Say thank you. And then tell him what you want. And then there's this thing called the peace of God which comes on our hearts. That's, you can't put a price tag on it. It's real. It's what gets me through the day. It's why I follow Jesus. It's the peace of God. So let's do this now. Would you bow your heads? coach you through this. Why don't you just take a deep breath right where you're at, if you're willing. You don't have to do this if you don't want to, but if you want to maybe experience God's peace, practice this. Take a deep breath. And remember that God is near. Maybe just say it to yourself. We're not even praying yet. Just say it to yourself. God is here. God, you are near. You're with me. Okay, another deep breath. Instead of focusing on what could go wrong, take a minute to say thank you for what is going right. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a material provision. Maybe it's an answered prayer already. Find one thing to say thank you for. Do that now.
please stand for our closing moment. And we're going to have a prayer team available up here in the front. If you're worried about anything, they'd like to pray with you and help you through some stuff. But otherwise, prepare your hearts to receive this benediction. It's just appropriate for today and right now. Luke 2, 14. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. Friends, Merry Christmas. We'll see you soon.